Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. East-West Draftcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Hello, everybody, and welcome to East-West Draftcast, your favorite thing on the planet Earth. This is Jeff. Your favorite host of your favorite thing. Nope. Ah, oh, he got me. Uh, second favorite host. <laughs> well, I mean, equally favorite host. You might be some people's favorite host, but just to say, I know who's favorite point, host. I point am. blank to I'm everybody that you're their favorite host. That's some BS. Because there's got to be at least one listener out there who thinks that I am the best. Clearly. It might, it might be like my girlfriend or my mom or something, but there's or somebody yourself. up there. That's true. <laughs> I do listen to the podcast myself every once in a while. Yeah. Um. Anyway, this is <laughs> besides me saying that you, I'm obviously the favorite host. This is definitely people's favorite podcast. Oh, no so doubt. Welcome to East West Draftcast. I'm Jeff. That's Greg. Best intro ever. Word yeah. up, listeners. Best intro ever. Um, so today, probably by the name of this podcast, no idea what it's going to be, you'll have figured out we're going to talk about GP Vegas. Vegas, baby. Which is the largest magic event ever held, the largest card event ever held, or or is it like trading card event? Because I'm assuming there's been a bigger poker tournament, but maybe not. I don't know. I think it's trading card game. Yeah. Okay. That would make sense. Um... Yeah, because 4,500, there's probably definitely been much bigger poker tournaments. The World Series of Poker is probably bigger than that every year. Yeah, okay. Uh, but yeah, it was huge. It was awesome. Uh, neither of us day would That was lame. But we got pretty close or, you know, close enough. And we did some fun stuff on day two. We did do some fun stuff on day two, none of which were at the convention hall. No, I didn't step foot in there after uh, Saturday. No, no, unfortunately, it would it would be too crushing. Also, less alcoholic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, we had a awesome time. Super, it was super awesome time. Fan friggin' tastic. Yeah, that was actually my first solo limited GP. I played in the team team limited GP in San Jose. Um, was that last year? Jesus, was it? I think no, it was I earlier this year, wasn't it? That, that was this year, yeah. Yeah, it was 2013, I'm pretty sure. I thought so. Uh, yeah, and I played in a constructed one, which was a joke. But, <laughs> not a joke. I mean, it, it wasn't a joke. I was the joke there. But yeah, so so my first, like, real GP trip, and uh, I'm going to try to make as many more of them as humanly possible, because it was way more fun than even I thought it would be. So what was your first impression of uh, a solo limited GP, considering this is your first one? First impression, um, the small mistakes matter so very much. So the the limited GPs day one are always sealed, and sealed is a very, I I won't call it a luck-based format, because you still have to play magic, which is a lot of skill. But you have inherent advantages from the get-go if you open the right sealed pool, or inherent disadvantages if you open a poor sealed pool. 
And so the the extra percentage points you can get by playing perfectly matters so much because you're going to play against people who have absurd decks uh, late in the day because those people tend to do better. And yeah, it's very swingy in that regard. I mean, if you open up a decent pool, but you just happen to run into one of the good players who has an absolutely ludicrous pool, you really have to play well and make smart decisions the whole way through that match to, to try and eke out a win. And even then, sometimes, you just can't do it. Like, you're not going to win some some games if, if you're just, you know, running uphill against, like, the nuts, like, six rare deck, you know? Yeah. The other thing is, uh, day ones are nine rounds, generally, at this point, um, because GPs are getting very popular, and they've capped them at nine. They Actually, I think this was the first tournament to be capped at nine. On day one? Yeah, I'm not sure about that, but I've played in 10-round day ones I, before. I heard from somebody at that tournament that the GP just before in Kansas City or whatever uh-huh. was like 11 rounds or something. Holy cow. Charlotte was the last really big tournament. Okay, yeah, maybe that was maybe that was it, Charlotte. But, uh, yeah, so, so this is new that they've capped it at 9, which is very good because the reason I bring that up is that... Uh, yeah, by round five, I was, like, drained. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that happened to be my, my first loss. Um, but, yeah, I mean, once I got tired, like, I noticed myself really slipping up. And so it's, I mean, staying attentive, making less mistakes late in the day is so huge. Because your opponents, they're tired, too, and they're probably going to be making mistakes. We interrupt this part of the podcast to bring you adjust the tip. If you're going to go to a big tournament, get some rest before you go. Now, for you, Jeff, that was difficult because you flew in and you, you left the East Coast and got in late on the West Coast on Friday night, like the night before the tournament. So, yeah. I mean... Fortunately, I had to work on Friday. I had no PTO because I'm doing this stupid thing where I'm getting married. <laughs> and... uh and so all my PTO is used for that. So I could only take one day off for a GP. I really don't recommend doing this. Uh, if you're going to travel to a GP, take take two days off. Take take Friday off. It was really tough getting, especially if you're losing time through time changes like I did. Because uh, getting in at like 11 on Friday night, which was actually 2 a.m. for me, w- just made the next day like once I hit a wall, I hit a a pretty big wall and I'm not going to blame that on my play mistakes because I was trying really hard not to make them. And, and I played decently. Um, although I, I definitely know where I made some mistakes, but, but it didn't help. I definitely didn't help. And I don't know, just, yeah, getting sleep, getting food. Um, this was a scary tournament in that if, if none of our team did poorly, we were going to be like SOL on food. Yeah, uh, a lot of um, vegetarians in our group, and the uh, on-site food was not particularly vegetarian-friendly. that, but the on-site food line was like an hour long, which is, I mean, that's a little bit of a hyperbole, but our buddy John sat in it for how long? Like, close to, like, 40 minutes or something. It was a really long time, and, you know, they actually did a pretty awesome job at this GP in terms of turning around rounds pretty quickly. Yes. Uh, at least at least after round three. Um so 
so yeah, it was. I mean, if you went late into a round, if you wanted food in between rounds, there's just no way. But anyway, uh, sadly, luckily, uh, well, a couple of our teammates uh, dropped out early and uh, got us sandwiches, which then had to go back and get different sandwiches. Oh yeah, that was so rough. Oh, we, again, coming up, coming back to the vegetarian thing, there are how many of us don't eat meat? Four, maybe. Four, yeah. Of of Four. eight people, like so, half of us ordered vegetarian sandwiches, vegetarian cheese steaks, and what came back were actual cheese steaks. steaks. Oh my god! Like, yeah. It it was kind of a, it was more of a beating because we had to go back to get new sandwiches. Like, yeah. And they didn't charge us. Like that was great. The customer service was pretty good. Like they couldn't deliver unfortunately so it was just like but somebody had to go back and wait again i I don't know it was rough i I want to get back to um like the travel (laughs) well the travel aspect of like choosing what days to take off now if you if you could go back in time and do it again and you and uh, assuming you could only take one day off would you have taken friday off and left late on sunday instead uh no if i could travel back in time i'll tell you exactly what i would have done i would have taken monday off and on Friday, I called in sick to work. Then uh, your employers wouldn't have seen through that. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the thing is, I, I do care. I don't want to get fired, but yeah, yeah, I, I could spin it to where to where they <laughs> the, I, they would at least they, I don't know they they would buy it enough uh, because I just I just don't think it was a good idea to to do it like I did. Of course. If you're traveling not that far, it's not nearly as bad. I mean, say, like, Greg traveled from Northern California to Vegas, which is not a super long plane ride. And in the same time zone. And in the same time zone. So, like, if he had to go after work, which I think Jason did on Thursday, right? Yeah. I mean, we all did on Thursday. We all worked Thursday and then flew in. Oh, you all did. Okay. So what time did you get on Thursday? Uh, We left around... I don't know. I think we got in kind of late. It was like eight o'clock or eight thirty or something when we got in. Yeah, but that's not bad. I mean, you you can no. still get good sleep. So so if you're traveling like that, not I that sleep. we did. Well, sure. <laughs> but I would say that it'd be fine. Um, but yeah, since I was traveling from the other side of the country, and I don't, I really just don't recommend that. Yeah. Um, in in general, I think if you're going to travel any like significant amount of distance to attend a GP, and I. This might sound ridiculous to some listeners. I don't know if like people are listening to us talk about traveling to go to a magic tournament and thinking, dude, you guys are frigging crazy. Like, why are you spending all this money to go play in some big tournament? You can play magic at home for a lot less money. Like, it's a vacation. It's, it's worth it. It's a, it's a trip. It's, it's something you do with your buddies. You have a good time. But, um, anyway, I do recommend the fly in Thursday, take Friday off before the tournament and, and leave. Either late Sunday or uh, at least like book a flight for us, assuming you can make top eight, you know, because if you're going to travel that far to go to a magic tournament, you want to at least have some sort of chance no- to win. Yeah, chance or notion that you could possibly win. Like, yeah. if you would ask me what I thought my chances of winning or top eighting GP Philly were when I went there, I would have given you a pretty low number. But I mean, that didn't change the fact that I did. And I was really glad that I didn't have a flight until Monday because it allowed me to, to play in the tournament without worrying about, like, oh, God, do I need to change my flight? And it's like when all that other stuff starts entering your mind or when you get super tired, like Jeff was talking about, that's when the mistakes start to creep into your game, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, 
it was it was rough. I I I wish I had some kind of I don't know caffeine in me or something at that point, but I don't I don't know. I really don't know if it would have affected my play enough. I think maybe my draw would have been a win uh because there was some there was some sloppy play in that match. I mean, my other losses were pretty much from mulligans completely, and I don't know if I would have made different decisions there. All right. But, Before we get too deep into like the actual games and tournaments, let's talk about our card pools from uh day 1. Yeah. Sealed sealed event. So, sealed event, uh Modern Masters sealed for those of you that didn't know. Um we so uh maybe a, a decent amount of you haven't gotten to touch Modern Masters or or something like that. Um If this, that's the case, just turn the podcast off now cuz it's all we're going to talk about. <laughs> no, you don't have to turn it off. I mean, they're all reprints, so hopefully you know some of the cards. But uh, it's super, super fun, super awesome, uh, really powerful cards and effects, uh, pretty swingy, and I don't know. I'm in love with this format. I think it's the best format since Rise of the Eldrazi. It's definitely one of the like top three or four they've ever made, in yeah, my opinion. I agree. Um, but anyway, so we opened our pools. Uh, it, we, this was a very interesting GP to where there's the ability to drop. So, so you open a pool, you get all these, uh, cards, you register them, and then you give them to somebody else. You pass, you pass all your cards because the, the idea is that no one can cheat if, if you're registering a random person's cards first, no one can slip in their, you know, their cards from home to, to cheat. So um, this was an interesting one because the packs were p- potentially worth so much money after you open them because this set is full of money cards, like crazy money cards, like foil Tarmogoyfs. Um, and there's a foil in every pack, by the way, uh, that there was a potential for opening all these packs that you were supposed to register and then dropping out of the tournament and keeping those cards um, which a lot of people uh, opted to do. Well, a lot of people went to the tournament specifically because it was good value on buying Modern Masters packs. At $60 to enter the main $10 event... $10 a pack, yeah. You get, it's $10 a pack, but it's even less than that when you consider that you could have got a playmat, which was worth $60 plus. You got a, I a foil... I think like 100 now. But. Yeah, you got like a foil promo card, and you got a pack of sleeves, like, and it just... There's you more value than just masters. the packs. Yeah, you play a free, you get another free pack of Modern Masters on Friday if you show up on time. So, yeah, it was very good value if you lived near Las Vegas. Uh, sure. If for well, someone like me, say, who spent, uh, you know, when all is said and done, I spent around seven hundred bucks on the trip, uh, and I still owe people money. <laughs> um. I I could open a foil Tarmogoyf and a regular Tarmogoyf and still be like, I came here to play Magic. I'm going to sadly pass these because I paid so much money to come out here and play, you know? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to to come out to a tournament like that and, and pass. But for the people that it does make sense to, hey, more power to you. Yeah, that also has to do with the fact that you're a like a limited Magic enthusiast as well. Like a lot of these people oh. that show up to the GP again are there just to get the cards so that and they can yeah. yeah go play them in their casual decks or their EDH decks or their modern decks you know not everyone enjoys sealed deck as much as you and I do 
those people are crazy. They are crazy because this, man, this format is so sweet. Tell us what yeah. you opened. All right. Uh, so what I opened is exactly what I wanted to open. It was, so I spent the week leading up to the tournament, we had uh, Modern Masters um, online. I did a bunch of drafts, so I understood the draft format pretty well. And then the day before, they decided to put up Phantom Sealed Cues. Now, lucky for me, I had to stay home on Thursday. So uh, on Thursday night, I got to draft, or not draft, uh, do a bunch of sealed cues um, to get practice with sealed. So I was under I was under the understanding by the end of my four practice sealeds that it was all about just playing like as much powerful stuff as possible, carrying pretty much absolutely nothing about your turn two play, um, carrying not a huge amount about your turn three play. Like it didn't have to be high impact. Like it could be Kadama's reach. And actually that's probably one of the best turn three players in this format because all of the four five, sixes, sevens are just crazy powerful. And um, because the format's not fast, it's even slower and sealed. It's just, it was just huge. Um, so in my pool, I had two Kadama's Reach and two Search for Tomorrow, which let me, basically, if I did a kind of a base green shell, I was able to grab whatever basics I wanted with just those four cards, making it so any cards in my pool, I can play them. Uh, not only did I have that, I also had two Vivid Lands and a Terramorphic Expanse. So my mana, if I'm base green, was absurd, just perfect. Now that's great in in yeah. the in a vacuum, right? Totally. So the, then the question becomes: Do you have powerful things to do in multiple colors? Like, do you have the rares and the super splashy cards to make that sort of strategy worth it? Did Let you? Let me tell you, Greg. <laughs> I know the answer to this question, but I definitely did. Uh, yeah, buddy. So the first, I mean, I had the first thing that popped out of me when I opened my pool is I had Yosei the Morning Star. Uh, Mythic Dragon does crazy awesome things. Uh, jumping into um, less powerful, but should, like also very impressive things, I had a Knight of the Reliquary, um, which on the outside, I mean, this also fixes my mana. And, and on the outside, it doesn't look... I mean, it, it, everyone knows Knight of the Reliquary is awesome, but um, in Limited, it might not seem like a bomby card, but it's it's pretty bomby. It has a lot of inevitability. Right. And then, um, let's see. I had uh, an Aaron Ephemeron. I had um, I had no Skyreach Mantas, which I was a little bummed about, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers here. Can't win them all, Jefferson. I know. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. What were my other bombs? I had a lot of them. <laughs> Did you have any other bomby blue cards? Like, you didn't open a Maloku, did you? No, I did not. Uh, I did face a Maloku, and I... That was my tie, and I could have beat that guy. But um, I had an Eternal Witness, which got back any of my crazy bomby cards. I had two Blinding Beams, which... God damn it, that card's so good. <laughs> uh, Eternal Witness was... I'm pretty sure... Every time except one was my second or third Blinding Beam. Like, I would always get back Blinding Beam with Witness because it always won me the game. That card is 
just crazy. Yeah, we were wondering about how good it was going to be in this format relative to the original Mirrodin block where it was printed the first time around. And we've talked about this off the cast, but it is just as good. The card is just incredible. Yeah, it's been just as good. I If I'm drafting this format, which I'm not going to get to do a lot more, but it's online for a little bit longer, and I'll try to do a few more, but uh, that's easy first pick for me at this point. Like, and I realize that everyone else maybe isn't on the same page as me, but I don't even care, like, that I could possibly get one later. I, I'll take two. They're, in fact, much better in multiples. Yeah, uh, and that's why getting one back with a witness is so so appealing, is because if you've already locked down their creatures once, doing it another time is, I mean, why, why wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah, it's just huge. It's Yeah, it's essentially two turns of lockdown, and it's really brutal. Um, and then... Uh, I had, a, like, some really nice, like, just utility cards, like two Pester Mites, which, hey, that works really well with Blinding Beam. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, God, why am I not remembering my bombs? Uh, I had a few others, and they were very good. I feel like I'm maybe you had, like, a big on black one, maybe? Maybe. I wasn't playing red at all. I was only four-color. Uh, oh, speaking of four color, I was playing two etched oracles, which were just awesome. Uh, I mean, a four four when I need it, three cards when I don't. How often and did you cash it in for three cards? A couple times. Uh, one time was a blowout uh, because my opponent just I don't know just didn't think about it. I attacked in with it. Um, he blocks with his guy and test of faith on his guy. <laughs> Ouch. And I was like... That's like drawing four cards. Yeah, I was like, uh... I'm just going to sack this and draw three. And he said, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, completely forgot that's what that card did. And um, so that was really nice. And then that game actually played another and cashed that one in, too, because I just needed more cards. And it turns out with my deck, drawing more cards just meant I was drawing more bombs. Um, so what were you playing black for, then? Do you remember? <laughs> Was it just removal spells? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was playing Marsh Flitter, and uh, I had a Slaughter Pact. Didn't you, did you have a Death Rattle as well, or am I mixing I up I did here? have a Death Rattle. Uh, I sideboarded into that. I didn't main deck that card, which, uh, hindsight, I think I had a sit, Sitinal Wood Readers, which I just wanted for the card draw. Um, turns out that wasn't super necessary. It was still fine, and I was happy to cast it. Um, but I think that card should have been a removal spell, either Drag Down or the Death Rattle. Not sure which I liked more in my pool. Um, like, I sided in the Drag Down, or not the Drag Down, the Death Rattle more often, because more often I wasn't facing green creatures, and the, like, the just straight kill spell just seemed a little bit better than a possible card that couldn't hit something. Um, and, uh, I mean, like, when I was going to cuts, like, I had to cut two drag downs in my four-color deck, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's It was harsh. really tough. Like, it was just super hard, but I knew that removal wasn't quite as good as... Oh, I had a Cloud Goat Ranger. That's oh. a pretty good card. Well, there's a bomb. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just knew that the cards like that were just so much better than just a removal... Just a one-for-one -one removal spell that I was okay playing, like... Like, I played Sitinal Woodreaders over Dragdown, which was the one maybe mistake in my deck, but I was kind of okay with it just because, like, 
drawing two more cards tended to be like, I'll draw my Yose or my Cloud Goat or, you know, something else. Uh, and so it, it, and those are just better than any removal spell. So I was okay with it. Um, the deck overall, its plan was just, uh, oh, uh, two Ether Snipes as well. That's that, that was the other curve topper. Yeah, so that was my bomby ass pool and it was it was a nice one. It was it was better than it sounds. I mean, when the fact is is that at there was very few games. Only my last round that I played in round 8 uh when I was when I was booted did was I ever under any pressure by turn 3. Like, it just didn't happen the whole tournament, which made my deck crazy good. Well, yeah, and the, the, the problem with cards like Aether Snipe or something like Yose is that you worry that you're not going to have the time or the mana to cast them. And this format is slow enough, and your deck had enough ramp to ensure that neither of those were going to be problems for you for the most part. And because of that, your deck was very powerful. Uh, yeah. I, I remember sitting down after I had dropped to watch like the end of one of your games, and it was <laughs> unfair what you were doing to your opponent. Yeah. He he had like no game against you whatsoever because you had an answer for everything. Right, and in my early rounds, like when it, when I was going when I was doing really well and winning, um, at the end of most of my games, I was be I would be holding like a blinding beam or. An errant ephemeron, or just some, yeah, some still had monster all card, yeah, that was just like I didn't need, like I just had everything and I didn't need any anything more. Um, yeah, I stumbled round five uh, because of a mess, messed up mulligan uh, decision where I kept a two lander on the draw, which really didn't have much play unless I drew specifically a planes. Uh, it was kind of weak. I had I had eight white sources in my deck. I, at the time, I was like, well, I got eight white sources. I might draw into it. But this isn't a deck that, you know, <laughs> you keep a hand where, that you might draw into. You just mull the six and have an absurd six. That's how the deck worked. So. Yeah, we should talk about how, like, mulligans are very, like, a little more important in a long tournament like this because... Absolutely. Because it is nine rounds, and if you do have one of those just kind of potent, very powerful in the abstract decks, you can you have to trust that your deck is going to give you a 6 on average that's better than your borderline 7 a lot of the time. Now, I mean, some card pools don't allow you that opportunity, but Jeff's card pool was good enough to the, to the point where in that situation, because it was a sketchy keep, he should have just been like, ship this, like, my cards are powerful enough to carry me with one less. Yeah, I will say the, the game right before that... Mold to five on the play, opponent keeping six on or seven on the draw. I won that game. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, but but and we talked about this at the tournament. The fact that you had to mulligan twice in the previous game must have affected your decision to not mull that hand because you you look at it and you're like, oh, that's this is close. I don't want to mulligan again. I already had to do that twice last game. You know. Right. And right. that's the wrong attitude to have. Right. I wasn't thinking about the deck I was thinking about what had just like, I was just thinking about the bad taste of a mulligan. Basically. Yeah. 
because mulligans are, are feel bad situations for the most part. You don't want to have to do it, but sometimes your your deck and your draw just dictate it. Totally. And my opponent was very good, uh, Canadian dude. And at, at, at the end of the round, I talked to him at length about the hand and keeping and mulling and and we. I mean, uh, it was kind of obvious what after talking that it was just just a really bad keep. And uh, yeah, he completely agreed and. Yeah, it was just unfortunate uh, that I made that mistake. Um, and then the the other unfortunate round was uh, round not the next round, but round seven when I I got a draw. And on day one, a draw is almost a, as good as a loss. Pretty much a loss, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that was tough because I was. Game one went really long. He had a Maloku and a Sword of Fire and Ice, um, which are just crazy good. And, and I was able to hold my own for a long time, but I just, he just overpowered me with those cards. He hit me like three times with an equipped Sword of Fire and Ice. Wow. Yeah, and I was still like not really in it, but a lot, but staying alive. And I, I, I don't know if I realized the that first game was going so long. I really wish I would have just conceded early because it just seemed obvious that he inevitably was going to win with all his card advantage. Yeah, that's a fine line to walk. I actually have a, a quick story about a round that I played in where I had to consider the, the just the scoop because I was playing against, guess what, a Maloku, you know? Yeah. And Card's really, really, really hard to beat. really hard to beat, and I kept battling and battling, and I thought, okay... I have a couple more turns to kill this thing, and the only way I could do it was if I left back a Sanctum Gargoyle, which is a 2-3 flyer, to block it, and then Lightning Helix it, and assume he has no tricks to save it, to save the Moloku, right? Sure. And I was relatively confident he would he would think about that attack to force through damage with the flying 1-1 tokens that he had made with his Moloku. So... I put that read on him, and I prayed that he didn't have a removal spell or, or, or like, a pump spell or anything like that to mess up my plan. And luckily, I got away with it. And even after that happened, I, I had spent so much of my resources and so much of my time in those first few or however many turns setting up a situation so that I could get rid of the Maloku that it took me a really long time to kind of finish the battle and take him out. And, and this was game one, you know? I ended up winning that game, but just because of how much time it took me, after I lost game two, that was when I ended up in a draw in game three. Like, we literally started game three with one minute or less left on the clock. Yeah, that's... And we that's weren't playing rough. slow in that first game. It just took forever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of draws, uh, our friend Alex, this was his first tournament, like, ever, uh, in terms of a non-casual tournament. Uh, he, he got a draw, uh, was it a draw or a loss? No, it was a loss, but, but he, he ended up losing because their, their game three was like three minutes left or whatever. And they played crazy fast and he didn't, I don't know. He's not the best fast player. Um, so he didn't get to make the decisions he wanted to, but what happened was after game one or game two, even, I think, uh, his opponent sided in to a new, a completely new deck, like a red-white deck when he was playing, like, blue-green or something. And not only that, but his opponent, like, laid out all the cards and was basically building the deck 
during sideboarding. Um, our friend Alex said that it took him over 10 minutes to do this. That's completely Judge. illegal. Yeah. And you, you should never sideboard. ever let anybody try to do that to you. I mean, he didn't know. And like, he thought it was shifty, but he didn't, I don't know. He's, too nice of a guy, I guess. He didn't want to call over a judge. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he may have lost his round because of it, which is pretty weak. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the tie that I had was a bummer. Um, I could have even won it, even though that last one went wrong. I kind of punted game three where I, uh, I had a, just a very clear, <laughs> clear, way to go that I just didn't even see with uh, bouncing an errant ephemeron when my opponent was on three lands and instead I pathed it Ooh, because yep. I was I just like saw it as this scary 4-4 four four and I was like I want to kill that and yeah I pathed it gave him an extra land could have just killed it with a bounce spell instead um, and it was just really weak uh, just really really bad play can we talk about just that kind of scenario in in a vacuum real quick? Because this is interesting to me. I always have to like rethink this, or not always, but I, I I come back to this debate in my head a lot of the time whether or not you should always like if you have a bounce spell and a removal spell, like what should be your default play first? Is it the bounce spell every time just to set them back on tempo? Well, this was a specific thing where my opponent had a a seven-mana creature and play with only three lands out. Sure, and I'm saying throw that scenario out the window and just talk about, in general, if if all all other things kind of thrown out the window, and I understand that this is kind of a dumb question in that regard because magic is all about context, sure. but if you have the option of bouncing something or just removing something for about the same mana cost uh, and, and it's like only one creature you have the option to do this with, what do you do first in general? Sure. Uh, so and why? It I think it depends on what the creature is in play. Um, in t- like, is it a creature that you're 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 happy to spend your removal on? Like, are you getting value off your removal spell? As in, was your opponent's creature like a like more expensive than the removal spell you are you're casting, or or just better than the removal spell you're casting? Um, if that's the case, I'd probably just go with the removal. Just just right off the bat, um, because you know that you're going to want to spend that on that card anyway, uh, and you're essentially like, if you're if you're pretty positive when they recast it the next turn, you're just going to kill it anyway. There's just no point since they might not even have another spell to cast. So so don't waste the bounce that could be even better later when they finally draw the thing they need on the turn they need, and now it's gone. That's a lot better. Yeah, I think if the if you're just going to have to remove it the next turn, you should spend the removal spell right away. But I do think that in general, bounce gets worse the later you go into a game, whereas removal kind of holds its value, like a just unconditional removal, like a path to exile. Like, if anything, it gets better in the late game because that's when you really might need to remove something to kind of push through that last damage or to kill something that costs more mana because it's later in the game, right? Totally. So my default stance is typically to bounce first and ask questions later when it comes to removal. But you're right. If this scenario is like, I'm just going to, like, no matter what, he's probably just going to recast it, and I'm probably just going to have to kill it then, then save your bounce spell and the, the the mana you would spend on it and just kill it right away with the removal spell. But in general, I think it's correct 
typically to bounce something before you end up spending removal. Yeah, and it also depends like what you have in play because I mean maybe bouncing the thing isn't actually going to gain you any board advantage really. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. If you're if you're not pressuring, there's no point to bounce. Um, yeah, in that you case, just you really need to buy time. Both, right? Yeah. Well, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In in my situation, like the, the mana was an issue for him, and so yeah, it was not huge. O- not only were you essentially doing the same thing with a better card, you were allowing him to search up another land to get him out of his predicament, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, it was yeah. just really bad. And and the reason I missed it uh, is because the bounce spell I had was Ether Snipe, and I could have evoked and bounced it, right? But evoking Ether Snipe is never on my radar because I've, I'm a bad player. <laughs> oh, I love evoking that thing. I'm sure, and it, it was... I'm hundred percent correct there, since it was just a straight vindicate. Yep. Um, but I just didn't. I just didn't even cross my mind. I'm looking at Ether Snipe. I'm like, man, when I hit six mana, this is gonna be a great card. Instead of just, you know, take four from the Ephemeron when it comes into play, and then, yeah, it's gone forever, pretty much. And I had pressure on the board too. I had, yeah, it was, it was just bad. Um, but. Yeah, and then later I had a bad blinding beam that game where I tapped the wrong two creatures. It was just a lot of mistakes. I was quite tired that game. Uh, just kind of a bummer. I don't know how my opponent did. I wonder if he made day two because that was that was what put me on to uh, X one and one, which made it so my next loss was was the end for me, which happened in the next round. Was again. that in the last round or the second to last round? Second to last. So you finished at five, or no, four, two, yeah. and one? No, five, two, and one. Five, two, and one. That's eight rounds, yeah. You know what, Jeff? For your first solo GP, that's not bad. No, it's not. But the fact that I know how good my pool was, and I know how good of a player I can be... Oh, yeah, that's discouraging, no doubt. It's for sure discouraging. I, I did blow it, um, but hey, you know... These are the type of lessons, That's though. Like, okay. I think that most people's first GP, they do not make day two. And sure. once that happens, you come away with these regrets, these thoughts of, oh, I could have done this differently. I could have played better. I could have got more rest. Like, I could have got caffeine or food. You know, like, all these, all these little things you learn at your first GP really make subsequent GPs an easier experience. And you, and you go in more prepared and ready to... To battle and make day two. I mean, it happened. I, I mean, I'm not. I don't want to make a blanket statement about every player ever, but like within our kind of core group of East West Draftcast, you know, Russell, mm-hmm. Ryan, yourself, me. Like, I don't think any of us made day two on our first one, but on our second one, a lot of us did. You know, and right. I don't think I could have day twoed without having that first GP where I didn't make it and learned all those lessons. You know. Totally. Yeah. I mean. I don't know. I'm going to be bummed about it until I make day two. So <laughs> Totally. Well, and I mean, I guess what I'm really trying to say is that I hope that this is somewhere where I believe a podcast or an article about like a tournament report can be exceptionally valuable to someone who hasn't been to one of these events before in that we can talk about all the mistakes that we made and not really focus on like all the, the great plays we made. You know what I'm saying? Like everything that we did right because, I mean, oh, that's I cool. Great plays. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you did. 
Okay. But the thing is, is that you don't learn as much from those as you do from your your fuck ups, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I yeah, I don't know. I mean, my last round, uh, Bone Splitter, turns out it's it might as well be a sword. <laughs> is that the best card? Is that the best common in the format? I think it is. I think so. Uh, I, I mean, didn't do, do expect s- it to be super powerful and sealed, but my opponent's deck happened, and my last round happened to be a Rebels. Like he just had a ton of rebels and a bunch of rebel searchers. And that's where bone splitter is just crazy. Um, yeah, because he gets just the card advantage of having a bunch of little crappy dudes. And, but my, but my bomby cards turns out can't like really block them because he just gets to make them two power bigger. Like I can trade with, with a, a two one with my errant ephemeron, (laughs) which is so sad. Uh, and that's how he beat me there. Uh, and that was also a mulligan decision where on the day after I lost, I, w- I was like, you know what? I wouldn't have mulled that. It, it, you know, it was a fine keep. Uh, but hindsight and just really like knowing what kind of hand I could have had, even though that hand was keepable, it was still just not, it was just not great. Not good and, enough. What, what, yeah, game, what game was this? Game three. Okay, so you had uh, seen his deck a little bit, and you knew what yeah. to expect. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and so I knew, like, I know now that that was a mulligan, um, and what technically lost me the tournament, but I feel like I lost the tournament before that round even, so. And that was my best opponent by far. Uh, he was a French guy, flew all the way from France to play in this GP. He obviously is there to be good, and he was. <laughs> yeah. He was real good. Um, well, anybody who's sitting there in the second to last round with the chance to make day two yeah. is doing something right, you know? Yeah. And I, I, you know how good my deck is when afterwards my opponent just really wants to see my deck. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. And he goes through it and he's just like, oh boy. <laughs> Dodged <laughs> a he bullet here. Pulls out, he pulls out the second uh, blinding beam, which he didn't know I had. And he was like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, this guy knows what's up. <laughs> yeah, when someone can appreciate like a powerful common that not everybody else is kind of keen to, like I really don't think people at that event oh, knew they're... how good Blinding Beam was. Yeah, actually, am I uh, in my tie against my opponent who was good? Um, he had like Maloku and uh, the sword, you know, and had like he was at a good pool and was a good player. Uh, and I made mistakes, more mistakes against him than he made against me. But when he blinding beamed my guys, uh, the next turn I don't untap anything, and he's like, "No, those two untap, just those two." Those <laughs> he didn't even know. And I was like, "Really? You've been playing this wrong all tournament? It's round seven, man. Like, <laughs> all my guys are tapped. I don't get to untap." Yeah. And he's like, "Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. This card like, is ridiculous. This card's really good, man." <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you played it, because you might not have done so if you didn't realize. But uh, anyway, the tournament was a very good learning experience for me, and uh, I'm super happy that I went and played in it. Um, and then the rest of the weekend was great. But yeah. uh, I did want to talk one more thing about my tournament, and then we can move on to you. Uh, it is Sorry. I'm just no, it's all good, man. I, I like hearing you talk about this stuff. Um, so my round one opponent, uh, he hates me forever now, by the way. 
Um, and I wanted to talk about this and, and whether or not you should do this. And the answer is yes, always in a Grand Prix situation. It did make me feel a little bad after round one, but I got over it pretty quick. Uh, what I did is I, I called him on... Uh, Hold on. Just tell the story as it happened. Whose turn okay. is it? Okay. Uh, it is his turn. He attacks in with um, a bunch of stuff. A darker Valkyrie is one of them. I have in play uh, some tapped dudes and an untapped Glenelendra Archmage with a minus one, minus one counter on it. Um, I have to chump block a darker Valkyrie to stay alive. I block with Glenelendra. And I, I think I blocked with two things. I think I had to block with a Pestermite too. And uh, this, this attack made it so a darker Valkyrie is the only untapped creature. I have lethal in play. So, but I have no spells in hand. I have a land. He doesn't know I have no spells, but I I don't. But you're uh, representing lethal in the swingback. I'm representing lethal in the swingback if I can get rid of his darker Valkyrie. Okay. Because it's untapped, because it has vigilance. Now, he goes, or I put my creatures up to defend, and he, and it's like, okay. And so he goes, take two, pointing at the guy that got through, I put my creatures in the graveyard. He marks down the, the two damage. So do I. And then he taps his Ark of Valkyrie and is like, I'm taking your Glenelendra. Yeah. So he did things in the wrong order. He he basically gave... And, and I did this all very quickly, specifically to catch him on this. Oh, yeah. Like, I put my creatures up. The second he was like, take two, I just put my creatures in the graveyard. Like, without another thought in my head. I'm like, I need these in the graveyard as fast as possible so he can't target them. The key is that he marked a life change as well, right? He did. Okay. Um, So So so, you've you've entered combat damage. Like, the creatures are dead. Combat damage is passed. The creatures are dead. With a darker Valkyrie, you have... It says target creature... When when target creature dies this turn, uh, if it would go into a graveyard, it goes into play on on your side instead. So he can't target it once it's in my graveyard. It's no longer target creature it's now target creature card in a graveyard or whatever uh and and it's already dead so p.s he's like real quick aside you just blew my mind because i didn't know that it could be any creature under control of any player i thought it had to be your own creature oh my god a darker valkyrie is so good <laughs> so um i didn't think about it either until that round when he played it against me and then I P- like P.S. I had an Adagar Valkyrie in my deck, and I probably made like oh, multiple mistakes heck? more that I didn't even realize I was I've I've made until now, and I couldn't even remember if I wanted to. But Jesus Christ, now I feel like a complete idiot. <laughs> anyway, please continue your story. <laughs> well, to be fair, I didn't think about it either until until the the it came up. All right, was, so oh. so he tries to return something with Adagar Valkyrie, and you call a judge. Is that what happens? That's correct. Okay. And so, or at first I say, well, you can't because yeah, it's damage has already happened. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm taking your Gwendolyn. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> judge. And so a judge comes over, we explain it, and the judge says, well, the, you, mar- you marked life totals down? And he was like, well, yeah, but, I, but I'm targeting his thing. And it's like, well... Too late, it buddy. says to me that, that this is already passed and that these creatures in the graveyard, you can no longer target them. Now, that tapped is the Darker Valkyrie, so he would still only have one creature out, right? Uh-huh. And my outs 
were technically no different. Um, except, wait, no, not even. Like, they're just 100% the same outs. Right? Okay, said, yeah, that's crazy. Because I had still, to he had... get rid of one creature. It, it happened to be my own creature, but it tapped as a Dark Valkyrie anyway. Right. Um, so I drew an Aether Snipe and won. Wow. That wasn't uh, the story I thought you were going to tell. Yeah. So I won that game after really pissing off my opponent by playing into this thing and getting a judge call to make him lose that that ruling, which essentially made no difference whatsoever. Uh, at the time, the reason I was like pushing for it so hard is I was thinking I had uh, removal spells that would put Glenelendra in the graveyard, and I was like, well, he'll get it right back. But I would actually get it back. So it wouldn't matter. Right. So, I mean, it actually didn't end up mattering because you would have won that game anyway based upon the card that you drew. Absolutely. But yeah. you played it correctly. And, and the thing is, is like if that guy's going to get upset about that, that's his own fault for not knowing the, how the card worked and not knowing the timing of combat and, and all those different sub-steps in that section of, of gameplay, you know? This was the other thing. <laughs> I went really deep on this, calling him on this, because... This this happened earlier in a different match where he was dominating my board position, uh-huh. and he played it this exact same way. <clears throat> he targeted it once it was in my graveyard, and I didn't call a judge because I knew I was losing anyway and thought that this might come up later and I could call a judge on it. Ooh, I don't know if you should have just admitted that. <laughs> I, I mean, did. Is that is that cheating? Uh, yeah, probably in a way. I mean, but. I don't think it's incorrect. I really don't. I I mean, I don't know. That's that's a really weird like kind of rules lawyery thing. We might sure. have to edit this out. I mean, or if you if you don't care, we can leave it in. But I mean, okay. Well, so this is the thing. At at the time, he was like, you know, block your thing. You know, this damage goes through. I take your guy, and I was like, okay, whatever. You know, you've won this game, uh, and. And it wasn't, like, an immediate, like, ooh, I'll catch him on this later. But when this Yeah, situation... but the fact that you set him up to catch him on it later, that's the kind of messed up part, is you misrepresented it so that he would think that it worked that way, and that's... Ah, yeah, God, Jeff, I don't know if that's okay. Like, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I blame you necessarily. What I'm saying is, is if we presented this story to a judge, you know, what would a judge say? Like, is that okay or not? They'd probably say no. Now, if you if you feigned ignorance, if you I mean, and then and then you're like in that third game or whatever, you read the card, you know what I'm saying? Right. And it was, I okay. I I'm spelling this out like I like this was a master plan. It wasn't a master plan, but it I was did, just you didn't give a shit. It at the time I didn't give a shit, and at the second situation I realized it. Okay. And I and I played into it. But hey. You can call it cheating. I still don't call it cheating, and I would do it again at a GP. Can can you tell? If the... our listeners are upset by how I play, like if if I play like that way, know this: I would never, ever, ever do that in any other situation, unless like thousands of dollars were technically on the line. So, because it was a competitive event where you really, really wanted to win, like if you were at Friday Night Magic, you wouldn't do that. I mean, I don't yeah. know if that's an excuse, but. Yeah, I guess, and again, like, I don't blame you for seeing that that mistake was made and then taking advantage of it later, like, because I probably would have done the same thing if I, like, 
was put in the same situation, but I like I'm I'm honestly just more curious as to like the legality of that within the rules of uh, like within the floor rules of a tournament. I think well the fact is if I admitted to everything, I don't know. That's a good question. But there's no way I'm going to admit to everything. There's no way you can get inside my brain to know that I knew about this before it happened and tried to set it up that way. Well, that's what I'm saying is you just you just did admit it like on the podcast. I mean, retroactively, of course. But you think the DCI is going to hunt me down? <laughs> no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I mean, no, I get what you're saying. It, they, they might. I don't know how that works. But I guess that's what I'm saying is I'm curious as to like if that did come up, if if someone did kind of allow their opponent to think something worked the when it didn't actually work that way is that wrong yeah well you're supposed if to you're if you're a judge well, and, you're, and you're listening to I this i do know I this l- rule i okay. do know, i do know this rule it, it, if you're a player in the game you are expected to keep the rules of the game at all times um and that would be a warning for me if i didn't and i knew about it just a warning. If you, I guess the thing is, that, yeah, it's a weird situation because it doesn't inherently benefit you to give your opponent a creature, you know? Right, right. That's why it's weird to me, and I, and I, I think that that shouldn't matter, you know? Well, it's like one of those things where um, you, it's like your opponent's playing their card wrong, and you let them keep playing it wrong, even though you know they're playing it wrong, because it, it does benefit you, right? Um, the, the and, benefits and the ju- in this the case are called later, and they're like, "Okay, I've been playing this card wrong. You know what's the deal?" He would say, "Okay, you both have a warning because you guys should know the rules of the game and should be keeping up with it on both sides of things." And that's what the ruling there would be as well. Yeah, I guess it's interesting in this case because like the benefit of like the the advantage you gain isn't for the game where the this action that you took took place. It was like a weird like rope dope setup kind of thing where you allowed him to like play a card wrong at your own like it didn't benefit you at the time, but two games later when you could exploit that interaction and like catch him doing it wrong, that's when you gain the advantage and that's interesting to me. Yeah, and and very shady. And I do apologize to the listeners who had higher hopes for me. <laughs> I'm I'm no Superman here. Uh, I really wanted to win in this GP, and I tried my darndest. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I think it comes down to that guy not understanding the card above all else. Like the fact that he didn't know how his own card worked and how the combat step works is yeah. his problem. That's now kind of how I look at it. I. I right, do, and well, I mean, I that's got to be the way you justify it, but yeah, I mean, and, I, but and again, it didn't it didn't end up mattering because because of the card all. you drew. So that doesn't concern me too much. I thought you were going to tell a different story about a slaughter pact. Oh, that wasn't my game. <laughs> who was that? That was Russell. Oh my God, my brother, who was like the ultimate like forget to do things when you're supposed to do them player. Like he's died to his own slaughter pact before, caught somebody drawing a card before they paid for slaughter pact it was like this ultimate oh my god it was great (laughs) yeah i think actually that was a very similar situation now that you mention it um i think that there was i I need to talk to him about it there was some way he knew that his opponent was going to forget because of how they played earlier because they did something out of out of sequence i think they did an upkeep thing after they drew or something huh 
So, like, they obviously... No, no I remember what happened. The thing was, is the, the, the player thought that he could pay for it up front, ahead oh, of his return. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, he which, thought that it, he could just pay three when he cast it. Yeah, and apparently and someone, was te- someone was telling me that MTGO has a feature where when you play a pact, you can, like, agree to, to pay the mana as you're casting it. No, that's not true. Okay, well, somebody had told me that, and I wasn't sure if that was true or not, but uh, either way, like, this guy... I cast them. They just, they just ask you on your upkeep, do you want to pay this or do you want to lose? Even you know, if like, you don't have a stop set on your upkeep? Yeah, it'll just ask if you want to pay it. Okay, interesting. But yeah, that was what happened with, with Russell, was the guy tapped three mana for what ended right. up being no reason. Because... And he said nothing about the tapped mana. He was just like, okay, you have three mana in your pool. In his head, yeah. you're not doing anything with those, and I'm not going to mention it. Yeah, well, that's fine. I don't think that's shady. No, it's I, not. It's yeah. not. It's not as shady as me. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, so that was that was something interesting that happened in the tournament that I wanted to bring up, and in my opinion, is the correct play to Grand Prix. Uh, for those of you that are good people, um, probably just keep being good people. I'm a good guy too. Just cutthroat when it comes to winning GPs. Yeah. Again, like I don't, I think the way you played it in that game three is correct, and I do not begrudge you of that at all. The fact that you let it happen earlier—that's what I'm not sure about. And again, like I don't blame you. Again, it, especially if you were gonna lose anyway, just to like throw a card on the other side of the table, like yeah, whatever, you keep winning, like win more, go ahead. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, yeah, it's probably not that big of a deal. It's just like, again, I'm more curious as to what like a level five judge would say about that. Uh, I don't know. I'll ask Sheldon Mennery next okay. time I'm at Armada. He might just take you to jail. <laughs> I won't ask. I've never talked to the guy. No, I don't know if I'll go back to him on Armada anytime soon either. Because I'm sure he listens to this podcast religiously. No, I, I just don't go there very often. I'm right. basically online now. But anyway, it was interesting. Uh, I'm glad we talked about it. And I'm glad all of you know me for who I really am. A supervillain. <laughs> Well, clearly not the world's greatest supervillain because you didn't make day two, <sighs> but you were very close. Yeah, and I, I I commend you on a, a nice showing day one, despite especially considering the fact of like how tired you were, how messed up like the food situation was. And uh, all that. Like I know that I don't blame it on that. I that was an inconvenience, not the reason I lost. Sure, but I mean it, that stuff adds up, and like again, like I said, it's like it's more about the experience you gain from. The actual gameplay, like noting those mulligans that you should have made so that the next time you play in a high-level event like this where the pressure's on, you know to make the right decision. Totally. All right. So, so Greg. Yeah. How was your tournament? My tournament was okay. I did not do as well as you. Um, just to kind of get this out of the way, uh, Ryan and Spencer also did fairly well on day one. They made it to... Spencer made it to the second to last round before busting out. He busted out the same round as you did, I think. Yes. And he also did it on a hand that I would have mulliganed. I was watching his game because I had dropped at this point, and Spencer uh, was hobbled. He had had a toenail removed for some weird, like, lymphatic infection that he got in his, yeah. like, all the way up his leg. So he, uh, he was hobbled all weekend and, like, in the same seat every round. So it, it was actually really nice. It was this... Little meet ga- spot. gathering spot for our whole crew. And um, anyway, I was watching his game, and he kept like a two-lander with a bunch of expensive spells. And I think the main reason he kept it was because he had the Sword of Fire and Ice in hand. 
you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think you should have mulliganed. He might not have won anyway because the other guy's draw was pretty ridiculous. It was, like, just an awesome rebel chain kind of aggro start. Um, yeah, aggro starts are interesting in sealed because yeah. they're you're very unexpected and generally um, difficult to pull off. So okay, so with that in mind, let's talk about my pool. I'm gonna I'm gonna just list off the the six rares I got to to start off because I feel like that's a good way to kind of gauge the general power level of uh, a sealed pool. Uh, I had an Academy Ruins, I had an Arcbound Ravager. I had a Stone Hewer Giant, which is the 4-4 Vigilance that can go tutor up equipment. Uh, I had an Attacar Valkyrie, and I had a Gifts Ungiven, and a Doubling Season. So, mm-hmm. with those rares in mind, Gifts and Doubling Season, for the most part, are not great cards in Sealed Deck. Do you disagree or agree? Gifts and Doubling Season... Uh, yeah, I, I pretty much agree 100%. So, I mean, gifts is, could be a draw, too, but the, the fact that you give your opponent the choice is kind of awkward sometimes. You also make it so you can't draw two of your best cards in your deck. Well, yeah, I think the way to play it is just to get four cards of, like, relatively equal power level and not yeah. your best cards. If you're just... five color, it searches up two lands. Right, or if, like, you have some <laughs> tricks with, like, reanimation or with an Academy Ruins, like, you can you could run that gamut if you want i chose not to play it um so that left me with two white rares both of which are pretty good you know uh as far as equipment to search up with the giant all i had was a single bone splitter now i'm not complaining having a bone splitter is great but it's not like i could go search up a sword or or something better you know totally um arcbound ravager i will also say not the greatest card in limited especially sealed yeah it's not it's not playable and sealed. Well, uh, and Academy Ruins, if you have something to bring back, pretty good, right? So yeah. now I'm going to tell you about uh, the deck I built. because Your wacky deck. Yeah, I mean, in general, my rares didn't pull me in any particular direction, except that I knew that I probably wanted to play white. So for, further pulling me into white, two Blinding Beams. Yeah. Right? That's We've talked about that card enough, I think. Uh, I also had, let's see, I had a Lightning Helix and a Kitchen Finks, both of which are white cards that also mm-hmm. could be or could or Love need it. to be cast for other colors. Uh, I had a Kithkin Greatheart and an Amaru Scout. I had a Gleam of Resistance, which is the basic land cycler, an Amaru Seekers, which is the 2-2 quasi-intimidate rebel, an Avian Changeling, a Sanctum Gargoyle, a Saltfield Recluse, Stir the Pride, Otherworldly Journey, that's that's kind of the extent of my white cards. But that's a solid white base, right? Yeah, it's fine. Now, two cards I haven't mentioned yet are two court homunculi, or homunculuses. So another... This is where things get wacky. Right. So we're <laughs> looking at more artifacts to kind of go with that Ravager. So I'm, I'm thinking about like my white deck, and I'm like, okay, well, I've got a pretty good white base, but I also have these two court homunculus and an Arcbound Ravager and an Academy Ruins. Let's see what other artifacts I have. So... Here are the other artifacts in my pool. Pyrite Spellbomb, Aether Spellbomb, Bone Splitter, which I mentioned previously. I have a Frogmite, a Skyreach Manta, a Mirror Enforcer, a Mirror Retriever, two Etched Oracles, uh, two Paradise Mantle, an Arcbound Wanderer, and a Relic of Progenitus. Yeah. Now, those last four cards I mentioned, the, the Paradise Mantles, the Wanderer, and the Relic, I don't consider any of those especially playable, so we're going to kind of ignore those for a while. Pretty much, yeah. 
and I, I did mention I had a Sanctum Gargoyle in white, which is also a white card, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, in blue, I did not have any artifacts that were also blue, but I did have a Thirst for Knowledge. And so, in general, I had the makings of an artifact deck, right? Sure. Um, it wasn't like the most streamlined or the greatest one ever, but when I looked at the rest of my cards in other colors, specifically in black and green, I really just didn't, like the cards weren't there. You know, those colors were pretty much unplayable for me. So I decided I was going to play base white and if artifacts was there, I would do it. And if I could just build like a base white kind of good stuff deck, that's the route I would go. In the tournament, I decided to go with the artifacts and I was, I, I did this for a couple of reasons. One, by playing so many colorless spells, it allowed me to play the best blue and red spells otherwise that I had in my pool without stretching my mana base too much. Uh, I did have a Vivid Creek and a Terramorphic Expanse to help fix my mana, so that worked out well. Uh, so the red cards I played were the aforementioned Lightning Helix and also a Torrent of Stone uh, to go with the, the Pirate Spellbomb as well. So I had some removal in red that I wanted to play, right? Mm-hmm. And it was really easy on the mana because I was playing the Terramorphic Expanse of Vivid Creek and because I was only playing like two blue cards, which were Ether Snipe and uh, what was it? It might have just been the Ether Snipe, the Ether Spellbomb, and the Thirst for Knowledge. Okay. So, I mean, it was a deck, you know? Yeah. It was pretty aggressive when I got the right draws. The trouble was we're talking about sealed, and sometimes you draw... Court Homunculus, Bone Splitter, Arcbound Ravager, and other games you draw Mirror Retriever, Etched Oracle, Frogmite, you know? Yeah. So it wasn't especially God, consistent. Bad. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so I had to mulligan pretty aggressively. Um, I did start out 2-0. Mm-hmm. In round three, I played against a guy who, in game one, got his own uh, Academy Ruins active with a... Oh, the Black... Executioner's Capsule. Executioner's Capsule, which is like, at any point of the game, if he had access to five mana, he could return the capsule to the top of his library, draw it, play it, and kill one of my one of my non-black guys. Yeah. And he, wrecked, is, he wrecked me. Which is have like all of them, right? Yeah, were you, right. Were you playing black creatures? Not a one. Yeah. And not to mention the fact that like my creatures in general, especially if he was like picking certain ones off, were not all that spectacular, you know? Like, the best creatures in my deck were the Valkyrie and the Giant and, like, the Kitchen Finks. But otherwise, we're talking about just kind of vanilla dudes. Like, 2-2s, 3-3s, 4-4s. Yep. I did run a Miser's Forest in the deck to go with the Expanse and the Vivid Creek so that I had at least the the occasional capability of getting my Etched Oracle up to a 4-4 or my uh, Skyreach Manta up to a 4-4. And then in game two against that guy, I had to mulligan to five. I kept what was, I thought, a pretty reasonable hand on five. And he goes, first turn, Vivid Land. Second turn, Raven's Crime You. Raven's Crime You. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> it was brutal. So I'm 2-1. Start at three cards in hand? Yeah. yeah, start at three, which is just rough, you know. And I like I, did, I didn't come close to winning that match. Um the round after that was the one where I took my draw after that that awesome game one. Like it really was a great game where I beat Maloku, and yeah. like because because we were both making good plays and I really did like see the line that allowed me to to get there. It required like 
a ton of really interesting decisions on whether or not I needed to bring back a spell bomb or something else with uh, Academy Ruins. Like at one point, I brought back the I brought back the etched oracle, and I had to like pay four for it and attack with it the next turn, then cash it in for three cards to draw into like another way to win the game because I, I wasn't going to win the game otherwise. Yeah. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, and so I had to draw, so I'm at two one and one, which means I have to win out the rest of the way. And I ended up winning my next round, so I was at three one and one. And then after that, I lost. And I remember playing against this guy because he had told me during the game, he's like, "I'm supposed to work tomorrow." At and he was <laughs> he was a local player. He had he had come in. He worked at the uh, the Hooters Casino doing some sort of hospitality thing. Which I, I don't mean that to like make it sound dirty. I think he just like worked behind the front desk or something, you know. Uh, he wasn't wearing the sexy... Yeah, he didn't have his little short shorts, shorts on. He, he wasn't hawking me wings or anything like that. But, like, it became clear that, like, he was going to beat me. And it, it got to the point where I was like, so seriously, if you make day two, you're going to play? Because at this point, we're both on the bubble, right? And if he wins, yeah. like, or if he if he wins and then doesn't play, if he crushes me, like, like dream crushes me that way, like, yeah. that's just a total beating, you know? Yeah. Like if you're not if you know you can't play on day two, just scoot me in because I really want to play on day two, right? Right. Um, but he said, yeah, if I make it, I'm gonna play. I'm like, okay, fine. And then he beats me, and so I'm out. Uh, I ended up playing one more round, like for funsies, lost that one too. And uh, I don't know. In general, that my big takeaway from the tournament was uh, there was one game in the round that I drew. It was game two when. I ended up, because I knew we were kind of pressed for time, I played a little more aggressively than I should have. I had the Stonehewer Giant out, and I had a Court Homunculus with uh, an Arcbound Ravager plus one plus one counter on it and a Bone Splitter. So I had a 4-4 Vigilance and a 5-3 Attacker, right? Mm -hmm. He has an Aaron Ephemeron in play. So if I attack, he can trade with either one, right? Mm -hmm. My thought process at this point was, we need to hurry up. I need to win this game now. So we don't go to time because it did seem like it was one of those games that was just kind of drawing out. We were both kind of just playing off the top of our libraries. And if he won the game, then I knew we were going to end up drawing. Uh, if I, if I could, and I, and I didn't want that game to not end, which in hindsight was a terrible decision because if that game goes to a draw, then I just win. win, Right. And so I play, I, I attacked in when what I should have done was kept both of my guys back not offered the trade, because he has to keep the blocker back anyway. And right. then if I draw a Blinding Beam, which I have two of in my deck, I just yeah. win, right? Right. And so I, I threw that game away on that play, which is a subtle mistake, but a mistake nonetheless. Totally. Beyond that, like, the the round I did lose to that the, the Hooters guy, uh, he just, he beat me. His deck was very good. He had, the, he had like, the awesome blue-white control deck. And we had talked about... What what kind of pool do you want to open for this event? And I think in general, most of our answers were, I want to open like a blue-white deck, or I want to open fixing so that I can play all my best cards. Yeah. You know, and this guy had the the nutso blue-white deck, and it yeah. it dominated me. Yeah, blue-white has a lot of really good uncommons. Really good commons too. Really good commons, and yeah. really good rares. <laughs> <laughs> it's just they're just the two best colors in the set, but yeah. Um, yeah, so that, yeah, I don't know. 
That's kind of a beating. You didn't even know how Dr. Valkyrie worked. <laughs> I know. And I'm now I'm questioning whether or not I made even more mistakes because of that. It's possible that that drawn-out game where I beat the Maloku, I could have won even faster because I know I had an active Valkyrie for part of that game. Yeah, hopefully it wasn't when Maloku was in play. Uh, I don't think it was. Yeah, no, it wasn't because if I had that... Stole. Yeah, you could have just blocked Maloku. Right, and I, I remember specifically having to block with the Sanctum Gargoyle. Yeah. Um, I... I found that sideboarding with my deck was very interesting and very difficult because I, bet. I had a lot of good cards that I wasn't playing. Like I was, I had a careful consideration that I wasn't in my deck. I had a take possession and a traumatic visions and a logic knot. Uh, not to mention just some like quality white spells that I cut in favor of more artifacts. You know. Mm-hmm. So after the tournament, I I really sat down like while you guys were still playing rounds. And I I tried to rebuild my deck in a number of ways. Like I tried just a, I tried like a black blue deck. I tried like a black white deck. I just like kind of laying it out, looking at it. And the more I looked at it, the more I felt like I made the right decision to go with artifacts. And cool. I'd I'd love to kind of like post this and and have you and Ryan and Spencer and Russell and whoever else or even like listeners look at it and say like <laughs> here's the deck I would have built. But I will say this, like, I think I built the deck right for game ones, but it, there were probably games where I should have just sighted into, like, not necessarily a completely different color, but maybe just gone into, like, a blue-white control deck where the Logic Knot and the the basic Land Cycler Counterspell, those came in, and, like, I, I went all in more on, like, the Amru Scout Rebel Chain and just tried to grind out wins, mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, the aggro artifact deck that I did build. I'll never know about that. Uh, but in general, like I was generally happy with the way I played because I noticed like the one big mistake I made in that game where I should have waited for blinding beam. And mm-hmm. there was, there were like, a, there was one mulligan decision I think that I messed up on. And other than that, I feel like I did pretty well. Uh, this is Adekar Valkyrie, like misplays aside. Yeah. Aside that I might've <laughs> made. Cause I honestly can't remember when those would have been. Um, sure. Yeah. But it was it was it was fun. I felt like I played pretty well. My biggest regret was actually from Friday when I played in a grinder. Um, they had really sweet draft grinders. Did you hear about these, Jeff? No. So well, but I kind of did. But well, really. just the format I thought was very cool, where you entered. So 64, 64 person grinder, uh, where everyone sits down to draft uh, in eight man pods. So there were uh, four pods of eight, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. no, that's 32 players. That's 32, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and then if you go 2-0, you, all the 2-0s end up in a a top 8 draft. And you draft okay. again, right? Yeah, and the winner gets buys, right? The winner gets three buys, second place gets a box. You know, the first draft was M13. I drafted a pretty sweet black-white uh, Exalted deck. Mm-hmm. 2-0'd relatively easily. My deck was very good. Uh, it, it, I, I do think there was a lot of value to be had in the grinders, not only because the prize structure was pretty good, like you actually won packs just for winning rounds in the grinder. Oh, wow. So like if you got one match win, you won three packs. If you won again, you got six more packs. Whoa. Yeah. This These were like M13 packs, so you're not eh. getting like the craziest value. But I mean, winnings nonetheless, right? Yeah. Uh, and then in... The second draft, I was supposed to, we were supposed to draft M13 again. At that point, they had run out of M13 product. Which is 
pretty crazy, right? Like because they're giving away six packs. Yeah, that's why. But so so they had us do a, a DGR draft, which and most of us were just like, hell yeah, let's draft some DGR. I ended up drafting what I felt like was a pretty mediocre, like Azorius deck. But I think the fact that I was very consistent and I wasn't playing a whole lot of non-basics meant that like I kind of tempoed out a lot of my my first two opponents with flyers. Yeah. Uh, so I, I end up going to the finals, right? With, so this is all the buys are on the line. I'm playing against a, a nice dude, and we played game one. I won game one. Game two happens, and I noticed this in game one. I didn't say anything, but in game two, when I present my deck to shuffle, he's looking at my deck as he's shuffling. And, and you know, like, in general... Oh, I, I get what you mean. Not not like the worst thing on earth you can do if you're not really thinking about it. Like, I often look down to make sure that I'm not, like, missing or, like, dropping cards. But at a high-level event like this, when you shuffle, you should kind of turn your head so that you can't see any cards, like, on the bottom of the deck, you know, or on the bottom or of the just pile. just shuffle in a way that, that the bottom of the deck's facing down, yeah. Exactly. And he, he could... In my estimation, he could very clearly see the bottom card in both piles that he was shuffling. Now, right. at this point, I should call a judge. This is on me 100%. I should call a judge. Or, or at the very least, I should say, hey, you know what? Can you not look at my deck when you shuffle? Yeah. Just for my own peace of mind and just to confirm that he is not actively looking at my cards, finding good ones, and moving them towards the bottom of the pile. Now, Or I'm, even just seeing what's in your deck. I mean, you're playing an Azorius deck with probably a decent amount of tricks because it's Azorius. So. A- absolutely. Like, And part of the problem here, and, and part of what makes me regret not calling a judge, is that in game one, he shuffles like that, and then as he's presenting the deck, he cuts it to me. So he puts like a random card from the middle on top, right? Hmm. And that okay. was why I didn't mention it the first game. You know, In right. game two, he did not do that. Which, to me, I, I noticed it. It was a little suspect. And I probably should have called a judge again. Like, I should have called one when he was looking, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and then in game three, after he won game two, on a, admittedly a, a game where I did not draw many of my best cards, mm-hmm. I, 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 he did it again game three. Did not do the, the cut at the end. So it's very possible he could have put all of my best cards on the bottom. Now, I, I'm not going to accuse this guy of doing that. And if anything, it's on. It's my responsibility to ask him to not shuffle that way and to call a judge if I believe that something is amiss. This is the biggest regret of my tournament, because if I had had those three buys, my entire tournament could have been much, much different, right? Sure, yeah. So, I don't know. That that was my biggest takeaway, aside from the the misplay in the so draw. So that was the finals. That was match. the finals of the grinder. If I win that match, I have three buys. So you won a box? I won a box of gate crash. Because at that oh. point they were out of not only M13 but also That's out what of that box of gate crash was. I was like, yeah. box of gate crash. <laughs> I won that on Friday. <laughs> oh shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll, it'll be fun to come back to and draft someday. No, gate crash was terrible. I don't know. I think <laughs> once we get removed from it, it'll be fine. I think I think we should just buy a box of RTR and a box of Dragon's Maze and keep those all three of them sealed. Have three sweet drafts later. See, the thing is, is I've already done that. <laughs> oh, okay. So well, now I, I just have an extra box of Gate Crash. Okay. Well, anyway, I don't know. That's all I really want to say about like the playing magic aspect of the tournament. I would like to talk a little I bit about. Wait. I have one more thing to say about the playing magic aspect. Oh, go Sorry. for it. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh. 
Brian Hogan, uh, often guest on this show, sometimes other co-host. He was my buddy the week uh, before the tournament where we just grinded MTGO together. Because somehow you guys both have jobs but can still afford to like spend 20 hours uh, a week playing MTGO? No, I can't usually. Courtney was at a job interview in Chicago. Okay. How did uh, that go, by the way? Just quick aside for me, because I care. Well. Nice. Well, yeah, she's currently in Michigan on another job interview. Crazy. Anyway, please continue. Uh, anyway, so so we played a lot together, and me and Ryan were the two guys in the group who had the most uh, experience with the format. And Ryan was the one who did the best in the tournament. He got to the final round and and did lose in that round. Um, but I I only got to watch one of his rounds, which was round nine, since I was out. And I do want to say playing like Practicing for this tournament was a big deal because Ryan made some like really awesome plays based on knowledge of the format. And yes. I, I don't think he would have done so without that experience. Uh, like one specifically that I'm thinking of. Um, well, so first of all, we also just had a good, good idea of what cards are really good. Ryan pinpointed that counter spells were better than normal in this format. Um, and pl- he played a lot of them. Yeah, multiple were, logic knot and the land cycler, I think. Yeah, and they were very good for him, and because there's a ton of enter the battlefield effects, where you're one if you're one for wanting with removal, you're you're losing. So you want to be hitting them before they hit the the battlefield. Um, but anyway, he he plays this thing pretty well, where his opponent uh, has a grinning Ignis in play, and let's think, he had. Five mana. Yeah, five mana. Um, he taps one of them, returns the Ignis, you know, for three mana. Uh-huh. Casts it again. Ryan has a counterspell in hand. And uh, he could kill this Ignis right now if he wanted to, but, but like, a, what some player, like, some players would just be like, well, why am I going to do that? But... Obviously, he's doing something tricky by returning it. Um, the most obvious thing is storming, right? Yep. But if you don't really understand what's happening and you're like, you're maybe afraid of him going off with the storm, you might counter it there just to slow him down on the storm, but you'd actually be adding to the storm count yourself, right? Um, right. The difference is, is that they wouldn't have the mana left over to necessarily cast anything i guess right so he played the he did counter the ignis at the perfect time as in he countered it when his opponent had three untapped lands and no land in his mana pool meaning that he did not have the mana for empty the warrens which was in his opponent's hand nice that's a that's a strong play so he had to let him return the ignis enough times yeah so that the so that he only had three untapped lands left right and he did it and it was impressive i mean for anyone who knows the format, it's like he's either doing that or grape shotting. And if he's grape shotting, like Ryan, big, big had, deal, right? <laughs> yeah, Ryan had like a creature in play, and it's like, well, then you get my creature for your huge turn, you know. Um, but yeah, so he's like, you know, if, but if it's empty, the Warrens, you'll get eight goblins, and I can't deal with that, so I'm going to stop this from happening. And later the, in that game, the opponent had to cast empty the Warrens for two goblins. Now. Here's where, like, you can really tell that Ryan was a better player than this guy. If this guy knew, or if this guy looked at Ryan's board and realized, oh, he has double blue and some other lands up, which, 
like if Ryan countered something, that means he either played Logic Knot or he played uh, the other one, the Land Cycler. It costs five mana. Like that's one of the easiest counter spells to play around, you know? Totally. Yeah. And if this guy knew that, all he had to do was stop when he had four mana or four lands untapped. He could have had what four or five goblins or four or six goblins instead of yeah. getting greedy and going for eight. Right. You know. But the the truth of the matter here is that he maybe was playing around a counter spell because he also had Maloku in hand and had the mana to cast it. Interesting. So you're saying maybe he was trying to bait out the counter spell with the empty of the warrens? I don't know. Yeah, maybe, or maybe he was just like, well, if he lets me do this, I get a bunch of goblins, and if he doesn't, I got rid of the counter spell that would kill my Maloku. Okay. Well, I this mean, was, this was game one though, so he doesn't. I don't know. It, yeah. it was interesting, but Ryan won that game. Uh, pretty handily and it was awesome uh lost games two and three to guess what bad mulligans maloku ah yeah well that card's pretty good yeah and it was it was rough because it was just it was that card and that card alone that beat him and his opponent's deck was fine but not i don't know i I feel like ryan would have outplayed him and his deck was probably better in a vacuum but him drawing maloku all three games was it's really tough to beat yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. What can you do? I, I do think that Ryan is probably the strongest player in our play group. He plays a lot. For the most part, <laughs> because he plays more than anybody else. He does. Uh, he's a very good player. And, um, and I mean, I shouldn't say because he plays more than us. That helps. But he's also just, again, he he thinks about the game in a very cerebral way. And he's he's always on top of it. Like, he knows all the tricks. And, and again, it just comes down to, to knowledge of formats and, and knowing what's important and knowing what's not important. And he correctly identified that counter spells in this format are very good because if you spend a Hirobi's Whisper on a Cloud Goat Ranger, your opponent still has three one ones. But if you spend yeah. a logic knot on it for the same mana cost when they tap out for their Cloud Goat Ranger, they get nothing. Yeah. I was I had a funny moment in my tournament where I had I just cast Cloud Goat Ranger and I'm like, yeah, gonna destroy with this guy. And then my opponent cast Warren Weirding on me. And in my head, I'm like, oh, bummer. <laughs> my Cloud Go Ranger can't fly now. That sucks. And then I'm like, wait a second. He cast Warren Weirding? Yeah. <laughs> After a Cloud Go Ranger? Holy shit, I'm winning this game. <laughs> that was yeah. a card that I think... It was, it's t- really bad. It's yeah, really bad. Every time I saw it, like in a sealed pool when we were doing our practice for the GP, I was like, oh, this card's playable. And the no. more the more and more we looked at stuff and played games, it was just like, this card is just not well set up within this metagame. Yeah, I think it's legitimately one of the worst black cards in the set. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's probably best in a goblin deck where you're using it just to make more goblins, which is really sad because... It's, yeah, it, when you're like sacking your Mog War Marshal and you're like, yeah, I get three goblins, what a, <laughs> way worth it. It's like, yeah, I don't know about that guy. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, Ryan's impressive. Uh, speaking of that, he just recorded and posted a Modern Masters draft video. For those interested, I'll post it up on East West Draftcast. Oh, nice. And I think he's doing more. So uh, you'll get to see the master at the Modern Masters. Yeah, awesome. I'm glad he's finally doing that because he yeah. plays a and, ton on there. I, you might as well watched, record some. I watched it, uh, or most of it. And uh, his commentary is really good too. So it it was he, he drafted a really I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but his deck is silly as all hell. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. That's Surprise. probably his biggest weakness is that he really likes to create he, these wacky brews a little too often when sometimes like there's like the best deck staring at him and he's like, yeah. ah, we're not going to draft that. Let's draft like, I don't know, something else Some, instead. He even mentions it in the video where he's about to take a card and it's like an iffy pick where he's taking the more synergistic card versus the just better card. And he's like, this is where I, this is my weakness right here. Like, this is why I'm not as good as I can be, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, he's got a little too much Travis Wu in him. Yeah, unfortunate. But uh, anyway, non-magic related. You want to talk about that that part of the GP? Yeah, I mean, I we've been going for a while, so I don't want to go too in-depth on this. But first, I want to talk about the line on... Friday to get in and get your stuff. It was unreal. (laughs) Like wizards, if they, or or whoever, like it was cascade games and wizards put this GP on. If they ever have one this big again, they've got to do better with the way that people got into the event. And I don't know. I, I'm not smart enough to know what the solution is because I don't know all the logistics and monetary concerns that go into setting up an event that huge. But there were some serious feel bad moments where people were cutting in line, people were camped out for hours and then just couldn't get in until like way later than they should have got in, you know? And uh, yeah, there's something to be said about like running a good event. And in general, they ran a great event. The downtime between rounds was very limited. Like the side events were awesome. The grinders were awesome. Like the price payout on grinders was unreal. It was really great, but that line on on Friday to get in and get playmats, that needs fixing. And yeah. that, that's okay. all the commentary I really want to say about it because again, I'm not like smart enough or or knowledgeable enough to have have a, a good solution. But that's something they need to think about moving forward for other huge events like this. Yeah. Uh, other than that, like I don't have a whole lot else to say about how the tournament was run or organized. I thought it was very good. They were definitely understaffed on Friday, and that might have been part of the problem. When we were doing the grinders, the grinders went pretty late. Like I was there until I think nine or later, and by the end of the day, there was like two judges there for multiple grinders, and it wasn't enough. But yeah, yeah otherwise that was great. Uh, let's talk about hanging out in Las Vegas. Yeah, so uh, we drank a lot of alcohol. <laughs> Surprise! Yeah. Well, when everyone bombs out on day one, yeah, the night of day one is gonna be pretty fun. Yeah, uh, although day two day was more drinking. Well, that was because we had all day to drink. <laughs> and true, God, did we put it to good use? We did. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I I crashed out a little earlier than I wanted to, but uh, that's what happens when you start drinking at like I don't know three or something. I don't know. Yeah, when you get giant uh, long margaritas down for those the strip. Listeners that are underage, I do not condone underage drinking. Drinking is bad, okay. Uh, and not seriously though, but uh, it it you know got to be responsible about it when you're on a trip to Vegas uh, and you don't have to drive anywhere and things like that. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun and uh, there's a lot of potential to make horrible mistakes if you're too drunk in Las Vegas, and this oh, includes. Yeah. Gambling, this includes, like, shady people everywhere in the city. Yeah. Uh, there's girls you probably don't normally want to touch. <laughs> yeah. So 
or or guys you don't normally want to touch if you're a lady, yeah, you know. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, potential for bad news if you're if you don't have your wits about you. Now that's not to say you shouldn't go there and have a good time because I definitely advocate that and we certainly did. Uh, yeah. And it helps being in a big group. We we were rolling eight deep and man, we had a blast on Sunday. We uh went down to the strip. We kind of just walked around for a while on a mission to find giant margaritas and Spencer knew a place in the, the Caesars mall. I think what was the name of that place? Do you remember? Nope. Fat Tuesdays. I remember. Okay. I, I, I just at all. blanked on it for a little while. Well, I wonder why you don't remember. Oh, <laughs> shut your face. Uh, and so we all got margaritas. Uh, a couple of us got smaller ones than others. Those pansies in the group. <laughs> they knew who they are. Uh, God, they were, it was so much sugar in an alcoholic drink. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what you're going to get. But Yeah, I amazingly did not have a hangover the next day. But I think it was because I essentially stopped or slowed way down on drinking by like 9 p.m. Yeah. But uh, anyway, afterwards, we met up with some MTG cast folks. Yeah, that was a ton of fun. We went to this place called Insert Coins and... It's really awesome if you're a nerd like most Magic players are. The first thing I did when I walked in was start playing the old X-Men arcade game. And this place is full of like a bunch of classic and new school arcade games. Not to mention the fact that they had like a bank of high-def TVs with like Xbox and PS3s hooked up to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, those you had to like rent out, but being the, the high rollers that we are, we, we rented one out and like, just had a great time playing video games and, and meeting listeners. Uh, want to give a special shout out to uh, Chris and Matt, who are both from the Bay Area as well. Uh, I didn't know where I recognized Matt from at the time, but I'm pretty sure I had played against him at a GPT for Las Vegas. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And, and I think it was at Anime Imports. I could be wrong, but he looked very familiar to me, and the more I think about it, the more I think I played him in one of my rounds. Yeah. Um, those but, guys were awesome. Uh, shout out to them too. Hey guys, I talked to you for a long time. Uh, mostly Chris because Matt showed up late because he made day two and I think got like 126th place or something. Baller. So well fucking done. Yeah, Kudos. congrats on that. That's a nice finish. Yeah, that is really good. Um, and they were really awesome dudes. Uh, bought me a drink. Super cool guys and uh, would love to hang out with them again if they ever want to uh they don't live far from you uh, no. they live very, very far from me but i visit theirs too so maybe i don't know at some point do a draft or something yeah you said you told them to come down to one of our tuesday night drafts right i did i did i, I uh, hope they make it that'd be fun chris yeah. bought me a drink too for what it's worth and that's always always good looking out yeah uh, for sure we uh, also really we also met some fellow podcasters yeah they were awesome. Uh, we met Chewy from Monday Night Magic, Jeremy Schofield from Monday Night Magic, really cool dudes. Schofield has a new podcast of his own. I think it's called The Upkeep, where he just kind of breaks down whatever the most recent uh, PTQ metagame is. Now, if you listen to this show because all you care about is limited, maybe that doesn't apply to you. It doesn't really apply to me, but if you're into like all sorts of magic, you should check that out too. Yeah, he's he's a really good player and, and has some nice finishes on his resume. Um, so listening to him is probably a decent idea um but yeah really nice dudes we met uh dustin from the underdogs, underdogs. Yeah. uh yeah the underdogs 
Uh, I actually hadn't listened to that podcast before, so I checked it out today, and uh, it's pretty cool. They talk about specific decks that they've been playing, um, like go really in-depth on them and the cards they've been playing and how they've been doing with them and stuff. Uh, pretty cool podcast, uh, really cool dude. Talked to him a lot, um, and I hope that I helped his limited game because we talked about DGR Limited a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it was... It was super fun, really cool meeting new people, and um, yeah, I think some of my friends were a little bit bummed that I spent so much time talking to these new people, because I don't get to see my regular friends very often, but hey, sorry hey, guys. We're all going to see you in August for the wedding, so that is true. We can all look forward to that, and I, I do, I do want to give a shout out to everybody in our crew, uh, John, Ryan, Spencer, Alex, your brother Jason, my brother Russell. Am I forgetting anybody? Spencer. Spencer. Did I? I thought I said Spencer. No, I don't think you did. I see that dude every day now, so it's like. Did you say Alex? I did say Alex. Okay. But yeah, the eight of us had an awesome time. It was cool, like sharing a couple of rooms with those guys. We stayed at the Four Queens, which was kind of a dive, but that almost made it more fun, you know? Yeah, it was good. Uh, extra big shout out to Russell, uh, driving us everywhere. Oh yeah. Just essentially the greatest. Um, getting. Spencer, his seat for, I mean, he just, that that man does everything. My brother has this knack for getting whatever the hell he wants, <laughs> as long as it's, like, within any modicum of reason. Yeah. Oh, my God. He, just knows, like, he knows how to sweet talk people better than anybody I know, except for maybe our friend Chris Klein. That's, yeah, that's, that's a good Which point. is funny, because those two dudes, like, couldn't be more different, but. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's, yeah, we roll up to the the event, and there's this special parking lot for um, uh, handicapped or whatever. But there are spots in it that aren't handicapped that are full mostly. <laughs> and we pull up to this. There's a guy guarding the lot, you know, who works there, and he's like, "Nope, move along." And Russell's like, uh, "There are spots in there. I saw him. Let me in." <laughs> and he's just like. No, right, you. Yeah, the, the dude just won't take no for an answer. It's really, he's one yeah. of the best guys to travel with for that reason. Yeah, I know. Russell was awesome this trip. Uh, really appreciated that. I, I don't know. I, I feel like he just did a lot for for me in, in particular. He, I mean, he picked me up from the airport, drove me to the airport. Yep, he's, me too. Um, yeah, just team, a, team dad, he, essentially. He was just like the soccer dad lugging us all around to our magic soccer games. Totally. He's he's awesome. Very happy that he is one of my best friends. Big shout out to to John and Ryan for providing all the booze on the trip. That Absolutely. was quite crucial considering none of us day two'd. Yeah, we we didn't finish it all, but it was a lot of alcohol. <laughs> and they even got my favorite bourbon. What a bunch of sweethearts. Yeah. Big ups to to Alex and Jason on their was it Jason's first solo limited GP? Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah. So. I mean, they both were gamers. You know, they they came to play every round, and I think that they had had a good time. I mean, as far as I know, they also both went and got us sandwiches. Unfortunately, yeah. oh yeah, that it was Alex went the first time, and then Jason was the one who went back and got the veggie ones. Oh my god! And then uh, Spencer for just being a trooper with that leg infection all weekend, man. Yeah. For we, sure. we walked his ass all over Las Vegas, like, and he wasn't supposed to be in the sun because of the antibiotics he was taking, and we were, like, cruising down Las Vegas. Probably. Boulevard. I'm going to take a guess and say he wasn't supposed to be drinking. He asked the doctor about that, and, and like, the 
doctor said you shouldn't drink, and then he asked the pharmacist, and the pharmacist is like, ah, no big deal, go ahead and drink all you want. <laughs> all right. Well. So, I mean, who knows more, a doctor or a pharmacist? <laughs> I don't Probably know. the pharmacist, actually, about the drug. Probably, but... Sure. Yeah, I, I think that was mostly in reference to the antibiotic. Now, the painkillers he was on... Oh, dear. Probably not good with the drinking. Anyway, he, he toughed it out, and actually, he, he did very well in the GP. He was alive until the second to last round just like you yeah so. just like me yeah i think john and rust did also did that well am i crazy no i think you're right actually i think they yeah. either bombed out that round or the round prior but either way they both did really well yeah I was stoked for both of them um but yeah i i don't think i missed anybody there but i just want to make sure that like it's fun it's i definitely want to give shout outs to like the podcasters and the listeners that we met but like those those other guys, the guys we travel with, those are our our people, and they they are appreciated as well. And and we couldn't have done any of this without them. Yeah, they're great, and I hope they listen to this. Yeah, they might. <laughs> Some of them. Ryan will in like a month and a half, and Spencer yeah. will. I think a lot of them get get far behind. It's tough to listen to an hour and a half of East West Draftcast sometimes all in one sitting. For sure. Speaking of, should we wrap this? Shit up. Yeah, we're uh, we're approaching two hours on this episode, and it has been an awesome one. Yeah. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us. Our email address is eastwestdraftcast at gmail.com. You can hit us both up on Twitter. My handle is at EWDraftcast. Jeff's is at Jeff, J-E-F-F-E-W-D-C. EastWestDraftCast.com is our website, and from there you can find a link to our Facebook page where we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a like. Uh, you can also just search for us on Facebook if you don't want to go through the middleman that is our website. Uh, big shout out and promotion for MTG Cast, which hosts this podcast every episode. Uh, it was awesome to meet Chewy, and he's the guy who does a lot of the legwork as far as getting these shows posted. So thanks for that, dude. Always, always appreciate it. For sure. With that, I'm losing my voice, Jeff. Take us home. All right. Draftcast out. Out. Oh, such a good trip. I could talk about it all day. <laughs>